Welcome to the podcast, Gems for the Generations here. Just as a general introduction, Dad, who are you? Thank you for having me. Um, I'm, my name is Daniel Leroy Perry, and uh, I was uh, just to get a relationship to the family here. I am uh, the second son of William H. Perry and Rose Renee Perry, and uh, I was born on July the sixteenth, nineteen fifty-seven, in Roseburg, Oregon, to those two parents for which I have just named, and. Um, my older brother is David Allen Perry, and then I have a younger sister named Karen Alon Smith, and a younger sister named Dina Kay Dodge. Yeah, we know those folks. Yeah. <laughs> well, essentially, yeah, this is a lot more directed, dad-directed. In other words, yeah, this is your, your GEMS episode or a gems episode for you, dad. So, I mean, you're able to share what you really want to share as far as, you know, gems for the generations, things that you feel are applicable to, you know, future generations that you want them to know as if you're speaking to them and maybe telling them about your life um, or whatever topics about your life or things that you've learned, which you, which you think are, are relevant or helpful or, necessary or you know whatever criteria you have and uh, obviously we can guide you but i mean this is a lot different than the previous podcast we've done with where where we're kind of focused on a specific topic um or wanting to get your recollections about a certain time period more from a family history standpoint of uh, maybe a, a you know a chronology or fleshing out fleshing out um you know specific events this is more you know, you speaking to future generations. So in that context, so yeah, so that's, that's who you are. So you're, you're our dad. Um, and then grandma who, you know, we have regularly have had regularly on the, on the podcast, of course. Well, um, do you want me to, I mean, I, I have thought about this. Is that where yeah. you're willing to go there now? Is that what yeah. you're yeah, it's kind of, I mean, I, I, I don't want to direct you so much because, I mean, obviously I have things that I'd like to hear about, but that isn't necessarily what you may want to talk about because we're, I mean, yes, we're technically here listening to you, but we're not your audience. No, I understand. That makes sense, yeah. Or your target audience for this particular episode. Well, I guess, you know, some of the things that I, that I find, I, I just think it's one, one thing that for me, I think is that I would like to pass on and that people, you know, in my family to know about is, is how I came to really know about the gospel and, and the things that were, and some different key life changing events that happened to me that, that, uh, or that I made happen or that however you want to put those that, that, uh, have affected the the place that I am today. You know that I've had an impact on where I am today. So those are the kind of things that I I feel like I would like to share. Uh, 
um, because I, you know, it might help somebody down the road in the family to know um, some of the things that I've struggled with and worked through and tried to overcome and and uh, work at that that um, you know that, that have affected my life and I think affected your lives, uh, you know, the two of you and probably. I, in, in some some ways, unfortunately, my my uh, the generations beyond you know you two and then and, and uh, Sarah and Diana, but hopefully not too negative anyway. That there'll be some positive things that come from from all those kinds of things. But you know, I, I in looking back at some of the there's some key turning points is what I would call them pivotal points times which I was really struggling with different things and. You know, one of those was was when I, uh, in, during high school, I, I, I really enjoyed. Well, okay, so I need to kind of back up a little bit further. And when I was listening to uh, some other members of the family, uh, it occurred to me that some of this childhood stuff actually has impacted me as an adult still as well. And one of those things, and so not not all of it is just is all spiritually based. So, if you don't mind, I I'd kind of like to share some of those, just some of the things that. That have affected that, and at least in my, from my view, have affected uh, who I am and where I'm where I'm coming from. My sort of point of view of life. Um, does that sound like something that I should? Yeah, absolutely. Pursue? Yeah, sounds yeah. good. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I was listening, like I said, to some of the other members of, of the family in the in this same Gems podcast, and and just let me say parenthetically, I, I have completely totally enjoyed listening to all of them and i hope that um you know what i have to say will will you know be be enjoyable to them if they were to listen to it as well but at least as you know if not equally as enjoyable as i've enjoyed them um down to you know nieces and nephews and brother-in-laws and you know the whole thing and, and sister-in-laws and, and sisters and i mean i'm just the whole thing has been really enjoyable so um, i'm hoping that i can contribute in a way that would be uh, similar to that. So <clears throat> one of the things that I realized is, you know, going, growing up, I, my dad was in the forest service. Um, the, and that's pretty much all of my memories are working in the forest service or, or being associated with the forest service in particular up in a place called Tokety Falls Ranger Station is some of my most clear memories. I also have some memories of some of the other uh, ranger stations, the steamboat ranger station when I was younger and then the glide ranger station when I was even younger than that. Um, and I, you know, those are different stories and in fact, I mean, and maybe we can tell those some other time. I don't know. Um, but a lot of them, almost all these memories are associated with my brother. He and I really were very close to each other in terms of age. And we just did everything together. We did all kinds of stuff together. So I, until we were got into high school and, I became a jerk. Uh, you know, we were actually, we just did all kinds of stuff together all the time. And uh, so, uh, you know, it, all these memories are, are usually with him. <laughs> all the funny, weird, silly, stupid things we did, those were all, those were almost all of those were with my brother, David. And um, so we really had a good time together doing things. And we were really, our, you know, each other's best friends, uh, like I say, until I, I, I decided I grew up and decided that that wasn't that wasn't cool anymore. But all growing up here, we did, and so up up in Tokety Falls, Tokety Falls Ranger Station, you know, we used to 
uh, we just always were out in the forest ranger, you know, for, right in the middle of the forest. In this case, it was the, oh my gosh, the Umpqua National Forest. Took me just a second there what forest it was. The Umpqua National Forest up and down the, the North Umpqua River, uh, east of Roseburg, Oregon. And we spent a lot of time just running around in the woods. And I, there's just a lot of fond memories of doing that. And we would actually, the deer, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with how deer are, but they're, they're kind of like overgrown pets. They sort of hang around and, and they're curious and, and then they, they're skittish, but yet you can kind of do stuff. So we used to chase deer all the time. They'd come over and be about 10, 20 feet from you and we'd talk to them and stuff. And then, and then, uh, you know, being boys, you know, we'd start, you know, like throw rocks at them and stuff. We'd never hit them much, but, but then we'd chase them and then they'd go run off and then they'd stop and turn around and look at you. And so we just, and so I was familiar with wildlife a lot like that and mostly deer because they've just really hung around the ranger station a lot. And so we, we had some, uh, you know, just fun doing that kind of thing. And then, um, we, we just, did, we were familiar, we were more about the outdoors and the woods. And so that those kind of memories really stuck with me. I, I never really, to me, that's that's just home. And we're talking woods, like as in, you know, a lot of the the underbrush, uh, you know, the the Oregon Western Oregon forest. So you've got huge Douglas fir trees and hemlocks and and uh, a little bit of pine trees, but mostly the the trees that re evergreens that require more water. So like the, like I said, Douglas fir, hemlock, some spruce. Um, cedar trees, and just familiar with those names, familiar with those trees. They they feel like home to me. Uh, we had a few areas where we had some manzanita, and then there was a lot of other kinds of brush. Um, you know, it, a lot of manzanita actually that I remember. You know, and so those things and being in those in those among those trees and those bushes and those trails, that kind of dirt, um, the lakes and the streams. Uh, running up and down the the rivers and streams and and playing around the the reservoir we lived at the Tokyo Falls Ranger Station had a how a power plant also the PPNL which was uh, I think it's Pacific Power and Light Company owned a dam that they dammed up one of the rivers I don't remember the name of the river off the top of my head now but it became the reservoir that they had and the Tokyo Falls Ranger Station was right on that reservoir and I have got so many memories of playing on that reservoir, which to us, it was a lake. It wasn't a very big lake at all, but it was just this, everything was just this big adventure. Uh, we, we would, every day we were off doing something in the woods and um, we would be gone. It seems like for two or three hours at a time, come back maybe for some lunch. Of course, you got to boys, you got to come back when there's, you got to get food. Then we'd head back out again. I can think of so many, just tons of different things. No, nothing of particular highlight, other than the experience one time of we decided we were going to build this boat. And so we started doing it and it just, we weren't having good success building this boat on the reservoir there, the lake. Um, we, we actually called it a lake. It was technically a reservoir, but we called it a lake because it was a dammed up thing. So, but we called it a lake and, and it was just fun being on Tokyo Lake there all the time. And it was only like, you know, five minutes walk from the house off and down a hill and they were, and we were at the shoreline. Um, and then my dad decided that he needed to help us make a decent catamaran, you know, a decent boat. So we went and got some wood. They were It was green trees, but they actually still floated pretty well. So we got a couple of big logs, and made, made, you know, cut down a tree and then made a couple of logs out of it. And then uh, we, he helped us nail some 
a platform to it. So we actually basically had a catamaran, essentially, a raft with two log, made up of two logs and a, a platform. And we just loved that thing. We just went everywhere with it. And this is the time when we would go down and go swimming and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, at this time, David and I were, uh, seems like we were in like the third and fourth grade because uh, we were both we were both going to uh, um, the, there was a three room school uh, country school so we had first and second grade together third and fourth together and fifth and sixth together and uh, this seems like the, this memory comes from like third or fourth grade somewhere in that range um, and so we decided we were going to go swimming and so we'd go swim and and my mom was like no you don't go swim without me I don't want you swimming in the lake without me down there to watch you because I don't want you drowning. And, like, and so we, but we did it anyway, and we probably did it a lot more than she even realized. But then one day, when we first started out doing this, we thought, well, we're going to we're gonna uh, take some towels down with us. So we put some towels in the backpack, and we head down to the lake, and we go swimming. And we actually went skinny dipping because we didn't want to have wet clothes. So we just jumped in the, in the lake, stripped down, went and jumped in the lake, swam around for a while. And we decided to come home, you know, dry off. And then we thought we'd be really smart and stick these towels up behind uh, are up under our backs under the clothes and and it's like oh my gosh if you had even thought about that for more than a few minutes and looked at each other first so the first thing that happens you got your backs all lumpy from the towel that you stuck back under your clothes because you just had a t-shirt on and the other part of it is we're looking at this going uh you know somebody from uh, an adult looking at it you know the water from the towel soaks through to your shirt so now you the back of your shirt's wet as well <laughs> and it's, very, it's very obvious that we were we were not fooling anybody about what we had what we had done. We were absolutely forbidden to um, uh, you know to do the anything to do with the swimming. Well, mom mom wasn't with us. She was fine with us swimming when she was down there. But you know she's got two other kids. You know, it was Karen and, and and Dina. She didn't want to be down there all the time. As many times as we want to be down there, we could be down there all day long. She just couldn't do that. So we weren't allowed to do it. Anyway, we did this whole thing that we thought was just super clever. So we come walking back up, time for supper at 4.30 or 5 o'clock, and, and uh, we come walking in the house and head for our bedrooms. And uh, she said to us as we're walking down the hallway towards our bedroom, she's looking at our backs. She says, did you boys go swimming? And uh, we both denied going swimming. Like, no, no, not at all. We, well, I told you now you're not supposed to swim without us. And we're like, no, no, we didn't swim. And so we get in the in the bedroom, and then we strip down, get our clothes off, you know. And uh, never occurs to either one of us that that the shirts were wet, and that um, we had um, you know any kind of issue with the, you know this this whole lie that we were doing. It was all going to be good. Nobody would ever know. Anyway, and then uh, so she I don't remember mom saying anything about this at all. She just. She just didn't. She asked us that, and we told her no. And she asked us again. She goes, "No, no, no. We did. We didn't do it." So we totally denied the whole thing. Title totally lied about it. So dad gets home, and then we get home, and he gets home, and then a few minutes later, uh, dad says to both David and I, he goes uh, individually, one at a time. He says, I, uh, "Dan, I want to talk to you." So I go back in the bedroom, and I go, and he asks us, "Did you go swimming?" And I said, "No." And he goes, well, your mom said you did. And he shows us, and then he, I think he pulled out the towel or I'm not. Anyway, he's got, he's showing the evidence. And then I, I go, yeah, we did. So, I, so he pulls out this belt. It would be considered abusive today. But at the time, it was, you know, fairly normal kind of, not like he did this all the time. But I got, I got a, a spank and not like some big long thing, but I got smacked a couple times with this belt. 
and what was part of the agony of it was, it's like I knew that Ryan Christie, you lied. You, you can't, you not be, you can't lie to me. You know, it's one thing to do something wrong, but it's another one to lie about it and, you know, deny that you did it. Anyway, so that was a big lesson. And I didn't really ever lie that I know of since that, you know, from that time, uh, when confronted with the exact question and the exact answer, I never lied. But anyway, so I, but I remember picking it. He said, you know, pick out, pick out which one of these belts you want to, you want to get, because you're going to get a whipping. I don't care which one you use. And so I'm looking at this thing, going to my mind, looking at the, looking in the top drawer, going, okay, the thin belt. No, that could be worse. I don't know which one to do. It's going to be bad no matter what. I, I don't know which one's best. And I, like an idiot, picked the, the analysis. Thin belt. Uh, yeah. The, the, well, the, the crazy about it, you know, the analysis of the same guy that's ana analyzing that, you know, thinking that nobody's knowing that we've we've just gone skinny dipping and had the towel under our backs. That's the same kind of brain kind of logicing through <laughs> whether it's a thick belt or a thin belt. Anyway, so I picked the thin belt, and to this day I'm going, I really think that was the worst choice because that was more like, a, more like a whip than it was just like a big broad yeah. belt. Yeah, but, you know, the welt was smaller. Anyway, I, I don't mean to throw my dad under the bus about, you know, like some kind of abusive thing at all. But the point was, it's like, you know, I, said, I was torturing myself. I'm sure he was sitting there looking at me going, okay, wow, this is, I'm really making him agonizing over this. But anyway, I picked a thin belt, got my whip, and it was fine. I mean, I we did it. I, it wasn't like I was traumatized by it or anything other than I'm not going to lie to my parents anymore. So that was one of those sort of lessons that's always stood out to me and, Defining uh, moments. Yeah, defining kind of moments. So, one of those ones that's like, it's not good to lie to your parents. And it's not good to lie, period. And that, that lesson actually really did stick with me. And I have always tried to be honest and straightforward about stuff, you know, my whole life uh, since then. And I knew that that was wrong to lie and to misrepresent and to make it sound different than it was. And, you know, anyway, so that was a good turning point lesson. And that was like third or fourth grade, it seems like. I must have been, I don't know what how old you are in the third or fourth grade, but... I don't know. It seems like I was nine. Um, yeah, eight or nine or something like that. Seven. I don't know. Something in that range, maybe ten. I don't remember being ten because it seemed like we were younger than that. So I want to say like six or seven is more what I would say. Anyway, so that was that was a one of those kind of experiences. Um, then um, another one that was really impactful was was when we uh, before we were there we. Somewhere, it must have been when we were living in Glide, so I was even younger, but this memory sticks out in my mind really clearly. And that was um, having family home evening and listening to my mom talk about it. I bet this was a time when dad was becoming interested in the church, so it must have been in Tokety Falls instead of in Steamboat or in Glide, because Glide was when I was really young. So I think that's probably correct. So it was still in Tokety, but you know, earlier on there, or well, maybe I don't even know when. I can't. Put it down to the actual date. We'll have to figure it out some other time. But, but anyway, I um, we started having family home evening, and I just remember mom picking out these these couple of different hymns that we sang, and everything felt really familiar to me. Um, and you know, and I I'm sure my sisters will remember the songs more than I do. But when I hear it, it's like that's the song. And one of them that I do remember that we sang a fair amount was "Love at Home." And sweet hour of prayer. Those are the two hymns that I remember hearing as a as a child. Really, uh, you know, I don't know how old I was, uh, eight or nine, something like that. 
later joined the church at 10 years old, which I don't remember. Uh, I remember being at the baptism and being baptized, but I don't remember uh, any kind of particular feelings about that other than that I wanted to do it. I remember wanting to be baptized. And I rem- and it was tied to those same feelings of, of the um, uh, feelings I had when we were singing those two hymns. And we, the, the talk, the, the family home evening wasn't, there was some visit, you know, some, uh, I'm sure some gospel doctrine taught in those lessons, but, but I remembered the hymns, uh, those two that we sang on a regular basis, Sweet Hour of Prayer and Love at Home. And I, I remember those to this day. I know the words, you know, and so on. And I, th- those were good memories. Those were ones that I, I literally did feel like they were comfortable. They were um, familiar sounds. And, and those were yet the first times that I'd heard them was, was when we started doing family home evening. And then, of course, later joining the church and um, being baptized. And then we moved away from there. And I was baptized when I was 10 years old. And then we moved away a couple of years later uh, when I was 12 from Tokyo Falls Ranger Station to Corvallis, Oregon. And uh, there, uh, and we lived uh, where we had to ride our bikes to school. And it was probably about three miles, two and a half, three miles, maybe even more, not probably three miles from our house to the junior high, Western View Junior High. And uh, this was a huge cultural change for David and I. We both used to be in the small, you know, three-room school. There was a total of maybe 25 kids in the whole school. Um, and we, you know, we just, this was a big change. We went to a junior high school that had 150 kids in the seventh grade. And it was seventh and eighth graders, excuse me, seventh, eighth, and ninth graders. And uh, there was a total of about 600 kids in this school, in this junior high. And um, we were completely overwhelmed. Had It was a major culture shock for us, coming from the woods to this big city. And Corvallis only had like 15,000 people in the whole city at that time. I don't even know if there was 15,000. There may have been 10 or 12. And, uh, but we just, it was this huge city for us. Um, and we rode our bikes and, uh, you know, that wasn't unusual. There were other kids that rode their bikes and stuff, but we had a sack lunch, which was unusual. Almost all the kids ate at the cafeteria. So I, it was one of my first feelings of being, feeling out of place is uh, having to pull out my peanut butter and jam sandwich or my egg salad sandwich, um, and not wanting to eat that. So I found that on a regular basis, I was trading off my, peanut butter and jam sandwich or my egg salad sandwich or my tuna sandwich for some other awesome thing like, you know, macaroni and cheese or something that looked really good from the cafeteria. So there was all kinds of things with that, mm-hmm. but you know, just trying to get accept, be accepted by this environment. But whereas before, you know, a lunch, a sack lunch was like normal. We used to go out and take a sack lunch with us when we go hiking, you know, all the time. And, uh, that was all very comfortable. Now it's like, well, that's not cool to have a sack lunch. I wanted to be with the cool kids and eat, you know, the regular, regular cafeteria food. But it would cost money, and I know that's why mom and dad didn't, you know, pay the money for the cafeteria. There was perfectly good food with the with the sack lunch, but it wasn't the cool kids. So that's when I started really this, you know, paying attention to the social side of things. And you know, I was twelve years old, so you, you know, just coming into puberty and all the stuff starts changing on you. Anyway, so those were those were some things that, that started happening. One thing that did happen in the church, though, when I was twelve, is I I got uh, called to be the deacons' corn president, and 
I really took that job seriously, that calling seriously, and I really jumped in and tried to learn all about the boys, and I started establishing this leadership thing. And I talked about that in my last uh, uh, GEMS uh, podcast there, about yeah. scouting experience and the young men's. And those are some really good memories, and being involved in leadership in the church and just really doing a lot of stuff like that really, really helped me. It was an area where I, I guess I kind of naturally tended towards and uh, and did and um, you know my peers liked me and I you know I like them I like people and I'm a social person as you guys both know so I those are the kind of things that so I just had a lot of really good church experiences there I uh, started attending seminary when I was um, what 14 I think it is when you I can't remember it's uh, ninth yeah four, 14 15 for freshman right yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, when I was a freshman. And started attending seminary. It was early morning seminary. Um, we got dropped off the first couple of years until I got my license, which was later. But um, and this was it. And we st- seminary was in the was in the uh, stake center, which was uh, where we also attended church. And um, and honestly, just a lot of really good memories there. Um, just some fun stuff, like just <laughs> something that pops into my head was just kind of a fun thing. We had a had a, one of my one of my good friends was a guy named Kevin Brooks, and um, he'd found some some uh, pattern uh, of making a tie. Well, this was back in the 1964, uh, 68, somewhere in that range, you know, and uh, 69, somewhere I think it was 60, must have been 68. Because uh, that was when I was in junior high there. Anyway, it was around that time frame, and I was just, you know, I was a, 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 I was in the uh, ninth grade. No, yeah, ninth grade, which would be a freshman. No, I was in the eighth grade. Is that right? Ninth, tenth, oh no, so ninth grade. The so ninth grade, I was a freshman in high school, but we didn't go to high school. We were at a junior high, so we, the high school was only three years. It was the high school was tenth, eleventh, and twelfth grade. Well, this was happening like in the ninth grade. And I, um, we were, I was the Dickens Corn. Pre- no, I was the teachers Corn president then at that time. And Kevin had this this pattern that he found on how to make a tie. So he wanted to make these ties. So he comes to church one time with this tie that he had made, and it's it's like this total straight out of the out of the '60s tie. This what we call the psychedelic colors. It was just like crazy loud tie. I mean, there was oranges and lime greens and. It was all these different patterns, and if you've ever looked at something historically in the '60s of this, you know the the all the different colors all mixed together. They called them psychedelic colors. I, I'm sure it had some other meaning, but that's what we called it. Anyway, we had this tie, and this tie was like almost looked like a clown tie, really, honestly, today. But it, it was about probably five inches wide, four inches wide, at least four inches wide. <laughs> And it was narrow at the, at the knot, and it went down really wide, really quick. So down at the base of the tie, where it goes to a V at the bottom of the tie, yeah. it was literally four and a half inches wide. And it was this crazy bold color. Oh, colors, I should say. Multiple colors, probably six, seven different colors. Lime greens and, and bright orange and rust r- orange or rust red. And, you know, just like, oh, my gosh, it was just... This crazy tie. Well, that's what he did. So we all thought those were the the thing. So we went the next week or we next couple of weeks, he, he made ties for all the corn. So then we show up to the corn to, to bless the sacrament and to uh, to pass the sacrament, to prepare the sacrament in these crazy big old wide psychedelic clown ties is what they probably thought at the time. <laughs> 
Bishop didn't say anything about it. He didn't make us like because that was like you're not supposed to do stuff that's supposed to that's going to detract from the sacrament. You know, I've learned all these things since then. But at the time, I I don't know. <laughs> anyway, Bishop Crumperman, he just like let it go. He didn't he didn't make a big issue out of it, and uh, it lasted for you know I don't know I don't even remember if it lasted more than three or four months. And then we we didn't never put those ties on again, but it was just like this weird fad thing we went through. And anyway, that just those ties and just stuff like that we we sort of did. And and um, I had a really good friend also, Evan Russell, and he and I were, were really good friends. And and um, and he invited me to a Kanita Indian Resort. Uh, it was a big resort that you could go to over in Central Oregon, uh, at the Warm Springs Indian Reservation over there. And they had a big pool and resort and all this kind of stuff. So he invited me to go along. And I was particularly enthralled with going with him because his sister was very nice looking. And I really wanted to meet his sister. She's like three years older than me. So it was ridiculous. But, you know, but I still was like crazy attracted. I had like this crazy crush on his sister. So, yeah, I was interested in being friends with him because of his sister. But I don't think I ever told Evan that. But <laughs> anyway. We've talked. We've, we're, of course, have been friends, uh, you know. And I haven't seen Evan for quite a few years now, but we've been friends for years. But that was my big reason to be his good friend at the time. I was narrow-minded, obviously, on that because his sister was so nice looking, and yeah. So anyway, whatever. So those things, but but it was there at Corvallis that I you know, attended seminary, and I didn't really get a lot out of it. Um, honestly, I, I went through the motions, if you will. I wasn't really hearing the music. I was doing the doing the dance steps, but wasn't really listening to the music. wasn't hearing it. Um, I I did though feel good about what I was doing. And scouting was a really good experience, and and the the association with the members of the Aaronic Priesthood, the other uh, you know my other peers, and with the leaders, those were all good experiences. It wasn't it wasn't bad at all. They were all good stuff, and um, you know had and they were it was uplifting. But I didn't really identify. It wasn't all clicking for me. I wasn't like getting it. Hearing the words in seminary and we we did stuff, but there was a lot of other social things that were distracting in seminary. Um, hey Dad, hey yeah. can we I hate to do this. Can we just pause for just a moment? You're talking about seminary, so I remember that. Um are you are you wearing like a a vest that's like um like a down vest or something? Yeah. Um can you take that off and replace it with like a sweater or a cardigan or something that's like knitted? Because I think that's what I'm hearing. It's just oh. every, every time you sp you're speaking, I'm just hearing this like rustling of clothes. Like, oh, I got it. Yeah, I just took it off. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yep, I didn't know. I do move a lot. I can't talk sitting still. I just I've never been able to do it. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. Is that um, better now that I'm not making any noise? It's sounding yeah. better. Okay, sorry about that. It didn't even didn't even occur to me. Yeah, I apologize. No problem. Okay, carry on. Seminary. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Anyway, so you know, we just had these fun experiences at the seminary. I, just it was more of a social thing for me. I really enjoyed the sociality of the members of the church and and stuff. Those those were pretty much all my friends. You know, Kevin and Evan, and then there was others as well. But those are the two people that I, I spent a lot of time with. My brother was there. Uh, this was also a time when my brother started getting made fun of. Um, you know, with cerebral palsy, he didn't, he wasn't very athletic, of course, and he, he kind of shook a little bit. He couldn't read uh, and couldn't write very well. Those are things that, you know, the kids just made fun of, that kind of stuff. And so I was like drawn or, or torn, I should say, between being loyal to my brother and being, uh, trying to make friends. 
So it was it was a real pull for me, and I, I'm ashamed of the times that I just didn't stick up for him. Uh, but you know, at the same time, I was like, I was just a kid. I, I didn't I didn't know how to deal with all that, what to do exactly, how to what to say. So I guess that's what I'm saying to myself. Maybe I did know what to do, and I just didn't want to do it. I don't know. Anyway, it was kind of there was a lot of social things going on for me at that time. Um, I was, you know, in, in 14, 15, I was very interested in girls. I, I would like that to have been postponed till I was 30, but I really wasn't. I, I was <laughs> really interested when I was 14, you know, I'm, uh, you know, and, and like I said, you know, Evan's sister was just very nice looking and, you know, I wanted to be just kind of hang around her and she was friendly and everything, but she's like the, the, um, Laurel president. And I, you know, I'm like, uh, the Deacon's Corn president. It's like, so we were in ward, we were in Bishop's Youth Council together, and I, I was just all googly eyed over her, and I don't even think she even knew that, honestly. But, but, uh, you know, so I was interested at too young of an age in girls, and, uh, but that, so that was going through my head at the time. Then I've got other friends. I was just, I, I really was trying to be cool. Wanted, wanted to be accepted by everybody. Wanted everybody to be my friend. And, those kind of things really impacted a lot of my actions. In some cases, it, it, uh, it was it was negative. There were bad things, you know, bad choices that I made that were for the sake of the acceptance and social social aspects of that. So seminary and church, while I enjoyed the association, the social part of it, I didn't really get into the church, the gospel, and the doctrine, and that wasn't as important to me as the social part of it. You know, I, I'm ashamed to say now, but it's just what I was. It just it, it, it was it is what it is, and that's kind of where I was at at the time. And anyway, so I had a lot of a lot of good friends and people that I enjoyed being with and doing things with. And there were girls, and I got had a girlfriend when I was 15 years old. Um, she ended up joining the church, and when I was 16, I ended up baptizing her. And um, her name's Heather, uh, Heather Heater, but I don't know what her name is now. She. She married a return missionary, and they've had children and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I don't know where she even is anymore. But but uh, we were, you know, like a thing. We were boyfriend and girlfriend and and uh, for a lot of those years and you know, for at least a couple of years there. And then um, so, but I guess the impact thing there was when I got into, we, we uh, moved away from there um, to Bend, Oregon. And I've talked with my dad about what caused that move and all that kind of stuff. And basically, was, if he wanted to get promoted further in the Force Service, he had to accept a position over in Bend uh, outside of some of the other things. You know, there were some circumstances that he had to get some experience in a certain area in order for him to be promoted. So he took the job over in Bend, but he hated the whole job, the actual doing of that job. He loved the Force Service, and he didn't mind the place, the city and everything of Bend, but he just hated his job, like pretty much the whole time. I talked to him since, and he just hated that whole job. But I loved it over there because this was an opportunity for me for for me to get out of some lifestyle things that I had chosen, some people that I'd gotten mixed up with, some really poor decisions. And I don't want to get into a lot of those details, but let's just suffice it to say that I had some things to repent of, and I I I I didn't have the strength in the middle of it all to 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 uh, really do that. And so I uh, was really grateful to, that we moved. And I really felt that way. It's like we're moving away from here. I can, maybe I can have a fresh start and not have to, uh, to deal with all the social pressures of making a bunch of changes in my life. 
you know, in my personal life as well as just that whole thing. And I, I really did feel a lot of really very familial and spiritual feelings, like I, a drawn to the church. I wanted to be around it, but I didn't really know why. I didn't have the doctrinal background and knowledge, even though I had attended seminary and learned the stories and stuff. But emotionally and heart-wise and in my mind, I wasn't in there with it. But I, I, in my heart, I wanted, I wanted to be. But I just didn't have the emotional and spiritual strength to make those changes in the middle of it all with all my friends and stuff that I had decided to be around, including members of the church who weren't doing all the things they should be doing either. I wished I'd stuck with Evan because he was like right on the money. He should have, I, I should have stuck with him, but instead I went off with Kevin and some of those groups of people, got him some mixed up in some, some friends that weren't good. Uh, and this was all through high school up until my junior year, and the end of my junior year. And we moved in the summer between my junior and senior year. And that was a very significant milestone. It was a huge pivotal point going between my junior and senior year because we moved from Corvallis with all these friends, all this stuff, and moved to Bend. Didn't know a soul. Bend was was a three-hour, almost four-hour drive away um, over the mountains, different climate. We went from the rain and the western Oregon, you know, Willamette Valley kind of weather to high desert, sunny, yeah. you know, very little yeah. rain, colder. Um, saw the blue sky a lot. Um, you know, everything about it was completely different. Um, when we first got there, like the day we moved in, the bishop showed up to our house, introduced himself as Bishop Williams, and said, hey, I know you've got a couple sons here. We've got a party tonight. Um, Mom and Dad Perry, you guys okay if these boys come along with us? They're going, sure, that sounds great. Dave and I look at each other like, awesome, let's go. We show up and there are like no end to good looking girls. And so it's like, this was, this was awesome. And, <laughs> and the guys, the friends, I mean, every, every, there was just like 15, 14, 15 people at this party. And it was at this, um, her name was Kelly Clark, Ke Kelly, um, I was going to say Clarkson, but that's not right. It's uh, Clawson, Kelly Clawson. Her dad was a big rancher like big rancher, like thousands of head of cattle. And um, we went out there out and we went out to his ranch and this ranch and they had this huge house, this big, huge barn that had a whole swimming pool of rec center thing tied to it. So like that was the place to go. So almost all of our ward youth parties were out there at their, at their ranch at the, at the um, Clausen's ranch. And, this, and they had this great big, huge heated swimming pool, like, like one you would have in high school kind of pool. It was amazing. Anyway, so we went there, and that was where the party was. The first time we meet, I meet all these people at this swimming party and this big party. We had a big barbecue, and I mean, it's like, yeah, this was <laughs> it was very fun, very cool. I mean, everything about it was appealing. We we go walk through their hangar. He's got two airplanes in his hangar by outside of his house. I mean, these guys had money, and it was like I I was blown away by it. So was David and I both, and but we just kind of like they accepted us and were like. We want to be friends with you guys, and David and I just got we just got scooped up by the members of the church. Good, good people, really good members, good, good guys, and you know, a couple of them were were pursuing their Eagle Scout at the time, and I, I just I didn't have it in me to pursue it further. I, you know, I didn't had good leaders. I that was on another talk we had on school on scouting, but these people were really awesome. These these guys and got to know them, and they. They put their arms around us and just scooped us in, and we 
It made a lot of difference. When I started attending seminary in my senior year, we had the Book of Mormon. And the Book of Mormon seminary class was was so awesome. Sister, um, oh my gosh, what's her name? Sister Glazier was the teacher for that class. And uh, Sister Glazier was awesome. She's one of one of these, you know, like my mom kind of teacher in seminary. Everybody loved her, and she was just this really great teacher. And she challenged us to read the Book of Mormon and to study along with us. And I, I'm going, I can do this. I, I can, I can make this change. And so I got in and started listening and and reading the scriptures. And my first one that got hit with was the scripture that says that, that Nephi, um, he says, I being large in stature, uh, what's something about seized the servant of Laban and uh, held him down or some kind of thing. Anyway, that's when, you know, they were escaping and, and Zoram was chasing him. And then Nephi challenged him. And anyway, and, and he was going to go back into the city and Nephi grabbed him. For some reason, that scripture, uh, in my mind, it, it, I guess it made it real to me. The Book of Mormon became real. And that was one of the stories that seemed just really very real to me. I don't know why. I have no idea. And it's not a particularly spiritual, uh, you know, scripture. But, but every time I read, it's like I remember the feeling of going, this is real, and I want to know more about this. So I just did. And I, I, I studied and stayed with it. I really became a lot more involved in the gospel and hearing the Spirit and, and uh, changed my life, repented of of all these things I've been doing and what I've been involved in and really turned my life around there. It was, it was a real, um, a serious pivotal turning point in my life. Uh, all my friends were, were going off to BYU after I graduated from high school. I mean, you're talking to the guy that was like, I, I flunked through math. I mean, I was like the total minimalist, whatever it takes to get through the class so I can get through high school because I hate all this stuff. There wasn't one thing I was interested in. You know, it's like this, <laughs> I, you know, it just was not, a, you know, none of that was a good experience for me. Not academically, I was just like completely, you know, I, I was a, you know, DC type student. Um, and, uh, you know, those were grades I was referring to there, not an acronym. <laughs> Anyway, I just wasn't very good. I, I just it wasn't. I just wasn't into it. But then in my senior year, I started going. Well, I need to. I need to pay attention here. And I remember going to a counselor. Going, she goes, "Well, what are you, what are you going to do after high school?" And I'm like, "I want to go to. I want to go to BYU." And she's like, I, "I don't think so. Your grades are really bad. But I can try to help you take some classes. You need to do this and this if you're going to really do that." I'm going, "Yeah, okay." So I took these classes. Some of them were harder. I kind of dug in and did some stuff. But it's my senior year. It's kind of like too late by then. And I was, uh, you know, like a, a 2.6, 2.7 student, it, I think, was my grades that I submitted, my transcripts that I submitted to BYU. Um, and I submitted because, you know, my friends, Brad Whitney and and um, uh, John Burgess and Dana Wybera and Renee Rose and, and Kelly Clawson, um, everybody was, had, was headed for BYU. And I'm like, well, I want to go. I mean, you guys are all my friends. We're, we were tight. We did all kinds of stuff together. We did a seminary and we just, we just did everything together. And so I'm like, I'm going. And, um, I got accepted uh, and on probation, depending on how I did the first semester. And if I didn't do well, they were, they were going to kick me out. So I did really well. I got a, I got a three nine, three eight in my first semester at BYU. 
And uh, so they took me on probation. Then I bombed the second semester because I met your mom. But anyway. We got an alarm going off there in the back, Dad. Oh, yeah. Hang on a sec here. Hey, Google, stop. Potatoes here. Just give me a sec here. You can cut this out, I'm sure, right? Yeah, easy enough. Anyway, I got accepted to uh, to BYU and BYU and went and and I was just at that time I was really fired up about the gospel. I was uh, you know involved in you know the church stuff. I became the priest uh, uh president and Bishop Williams there. The bishop had just made such a huge difference in my life and helped me work through a lot of the issues that I had from previously in my life and just really helped me turn my life around. And I. I, you know, at that point, I was like headed for school to BYU, and when I got here, got here, you know, to BYU, I, I um, uh, had the options of different classes, and I took, you know, like two religion classes per semester, and uh, a lot of students, you know, you, you don't even take one necessarily because you're trying to, you know, at that time there was 14 credit hours of religion classes that was required to graduate, and. <clears throat> So a lot of people, they didn't really, some people just postpone it towards the end of their, their whole career. And I'm like, took as many as I could. I took Doctrine and Covenants and History of the Church. And I took a genealogy class and, uh, you know, I can't remember, a Book of Mormon class. And uh, what else did I have? Uh, teachings of the Presidents of the Church, I think. And just, you know, I just got into it. I just really learned a lot. And while I was doing that, I was called into the Elders Corn Presidency at that time. And uh, the president was a return missionary. And... I, you know, there was just a lot of influence around me to, you know, to go on a mission that uh, people going, yeah, well, you know, this, this is what you need to do. And at the time, the prophet, President Kimball, said every young man, every worthy young man should go on a mission. That's kind of like this is a duty. So I wanted to go. And so I, um, uh, but that second semester, I met your mom and, and uh, we decided to, you know, I, I wanted to, marry her and but I wanted to go on my mission. So anyway, bottom line is I prepared myself and 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 uh put in my mission papers and got called to go to the the England Manchester mission, which I totally was thrilled about. I wanted to go to Australia or England uh, or Ireland or you know uh, basically English English speaking foreign mission. And I I got my way. I don't know why the Lord granted me what I wanted, but I'm grateful and forever grateful that he did and uh, so I get called to England and get called to to Liverpool and Preston and the, you know the heart of the church in England for quite a while there and then and then Manchester was the was the mission home itself and that that just changed everything about my life I mean that was spiritually and uh, it just made so much difference and that's I guess really really solidified my my feelings of the gospel. It's where I saw people become converted to the church. And I saw 
the changes that people can make and what the Spirit did, did for you and mostly what Jesus Christ has done for us. And of all the things I could pass on, I would say that that's, it's, it's, the mission experience did that for me, but those making those kind of changes, and that's what really happened to me there my senior year of high school, is really changing. My heart just changed. I started really wanting to know more, learn everything I could about the gospel. I wanted to to uh, teach it. I wanted to share it with other people. I wanted to be a part of it. Um, I was called, you know, I was ordained an elder uh, before I left to, to go to BYU. Um, and then I was called into the Oakland presidency and got involved in leadership there with that as well. You know, I, I just, um, the church became very, very important to me. And, and mostly wasn't the church as much. It wasn't the social part like it was before in high school because the church was important to me then. But what became important to me was Jesus Christ and the gospel and really understanding the principles of the gospel and that spirit bearing witness to me that what I was learning and what I was studying was true. And uh, that just, that changed my life. That just changed everything about what I was doing and where I was headed and um, what I wanted to accomplish. Um, and, you know, in my freshman year, um, another huge thing that changed my life too, I would totally not want to miss that. And that is I met, I met you guys' mom and, um, there's a lot of fun stuff with that and uh, and meeting her. And um, basically, I, I um, you know, I still had never really lost my interest in, in girls at the time. So, I show up to BYU and all I'm looking at is, not all, but I mean, one of the things I was paying attention to, let's put it that way, was all of these beautiful women that I could date. <laughs> so, I was like, I would meet people like, you know, in the bookstore, I'm like looking for a book and there'd be this nice looking girl next to me and I walk over and start talking to her about the book or whatever and, and I'd get a date and that I, I probably went on, I would say two to three dates a week for the whole semester, the first semester I was there. I was like very actively looking for the, the person that I wanted to marry and I'm like, it's just, it was just, I, it was this driving subconscious kind of thing. It wasn't like, okay, this is what I'm doing. But I, at that time, I, you know, back in uh, um, my freshman, I think it was like the first part of my, my freshman year, I actually wrote out a list of all the characteristics that I wanted to have in a woman I wanted to be married to. And, uh, but I'm thinking about this at, you know, 18 years old. It was really, I, I, I look at that now and going, you know, that was weird to me. But at the time... <laughs> It seemed very natural and seemed like, yeah, this is the next step kind of thing. I need to, I need to find the woman I want to be married to that, that will be my wife, you know, for eternity. Once I learned, you know, about the gospel principles, I'm like, this is what I want to do. So I was like crazy involved in doing that. I was, I, I, without exaggeration, I, there were two or three days a week that I was on some kind of a date, you know, one on Friday night and Saturday night, usually something during the week, probably usually a Monday because there's a lot of Monday night family and evening activities, movies, you know, whatever, firesides on Sunday nights. And there was all these different activities going on. And there was this whole, as we'd say in the mission field, the field was white, ready to harvest, you know. And I'm like, there's so many women here I could go meet. So I was just like, running around meeting everybody, you know. and Finding I'm, people to teach. 
Why do people to teach? Exactly. This is not teaching, Judas. Oh my gosh. Anyway, I was like really, really active and in, involved in dating. And, and I had a list of, there were some women that's like, okay, I'm never going to date someone like you again. And there was others that's like, well, that, that, that was pretty fun. That, you were really great to talk to. And, you know, so I just had a lot of interesting, interesting dates, interesting, and got sorted out a lot of stuff. And then uh, the set going into the second semester, my my at that time, they call it winter semester at BYU, but you know in January, um, we got you know a new crop of of, of women in the ward, and uh, I was in the uh, elders school presidency at the time, and so I you know my one of the responsibilities you got to meet people and stuff, so I of course was involved in meeting all the new girls, anyway, so I. Um, had walked into this apartment and uh, was, they were, I think it was called preference or something like that. Anyway, the, the girls were supposed to ask the guys out for it, for a, a, a it was a dance. That was, that's when, da back when dancing was, a, you know, steak dances were big and, you know, we got to BYU and there was, there was always some kind of a dance going on somewhere. So actually one of my classes in my spring, my fall semester was a dance class. It's like, I'm going to meet girls. I got to, I got to know how to dance. So I, I took a ballroom dance class so I could learn how to dance so I could meet girls and sweep them off their feet. You know, that was the idea. So anyway, I, so I did that. And I, I met girls in the dance class as well, but I walked into this apartment I, to, to talk to one of the gals that she'd asked me to go on this date with her to this pr preference thing. And she was, well, I've got a new roommate. Let me introduce you to her. And this gal was really nice. I can't remember her first name. I want to say it's Kat. And your mom could, could remind me because she knew him because she had lived in this apartment with him for, for another four months. But, um, I said, okay, sounds great. And I, seriously, when we walk in and I meet her, I'm like, awesome. I, I, my first thoughts were, I need to get to know you more. And so, but I'm busy, you know, we've got dates and there's other things going on. And, and then I showed up on a Saturday before the preference dance that night. Um, I think this is the right sequence, I believe. It's close to that if it's not exactly. Anyway, and I see your mom going up and down the stairs, uh, doing her laundry. The laundry's in the basement. This is at Heritage Halls. There's a three-story building. It's a three-story building. They've all replaced them now. I was living in Deseret Towers. They were like, uh, I think it was uh, 10 or 11-story buildings. Anyway, I was on the seventh floor there in one of those DTs, the one closest, furthest to the north. They're all torn down. The heritage, all, it's all, all torn down now, replaced with other places, other uh, apartments. But at the time, we walked down to, you know, our, our, we had two floors in the in Deseret Towers was in the ward, and then two uh, Heritage Halls buildings were in our ward. And that's how the girls were living in Heritage Halls, and the guys were living in DTs. Anyway, that's how we, that's how the ward was, how they did the ward, and uh, anyway, I met her there, and then she was going up and down the stairs doing laundry, and she was wearing a T-shirt and, and overalls. And, like, it was like, okay, here is – and I date a lot of different girls. I wanted more of a homespun type of girl, down-to-earth, you know, hardworking, at the same time, you know, spiritual, got her head on her shoulders. Uh, and I got, I'm going to say a bunch of stuff that is not meant to be offensive to any any women that aren't like this, but – you know, I wanted somebody who was didn't have this little high squeaky voice, but was uh, you know kind of a little lower lower voice, very um, you know active, you know involved in stuff, uh, not necessarily athletic, but you know physically you know able to do stuff and and things like that. And um, of course, had to be nice looking and and um, and at the same time, 
you know, good, solid spiritual foundation, somebody of substance, you know, that we could, you could talk to the gospel about. So, and I didn't know about all that, but I saw those overalls on her and I'm like, wow, I was so impressed. <laughs> she, she's always thought this is like the stupidest thing, but I'm like, <laughs> okay, this is like, you can't get more down to earth than a pair of overalls. Cause that back in our day, that was like, women didn't really do that. I mean, you did, if you were like more of the, I don't want to say hippie, but more, um, just more down to earth, not like in heels and, you know, I got to be careful what I'm saying here, but you know, not, not a real prissy kind of woman, but somebody who's like substantive, you know, a pioneer kind of woman, somebody you could like put up with stuff and was a little bit hardy, you know, not a pansy kind of woman. Cause I was just not interested in that. I grew up out and running in the woods, chasing deer. And I was an outdoorsy person. I, I want somebody like the woods and, and to me that's down to earth. And, you know, so she's walking these overalls. I'm like, okay, now I met her before. Now I'm seeing the overalls. It's like, wow, I gotta, I definitely have got to get to know this girl. So we went to the preference dance and there we was all dressed up and the girls had divided the guys. So we're showing up there and Doreen was going, she was doing, getting ready to go to that stuff, you know? So we get to this dance and I, she is like in this, whatever it was, I don't even remember what she was wearing exactly, but I remember in my mind being, Man, you are devastatingly gorgeous. I, I have got to, I mean, and I'm talking with this guy. She was just super nice. I think her name was Kat, I believe. Anyway, she was just super nice. And I said, I'm sorry, but would you mind if I, if I dance with this gal over here? <laughs> Unbelievable. And, and she goes, well, I mean, that's fine if you want to. And I, I said, well, you know, you, she goes, well, I've got a good friend over here and we'll, we'll just swap. And I said, okay, that'd be great. She goes, okay. And, but she asked me on this date. So it's like, it was actually pretty rude, but I, you know, I, I just didn't, I wasn't worried about that. It's like, I've got to dance with Doreen, this girl over here. Um, and I kept, I'm like, I'm dancing with her. And she goes, you're really, are you distracted? What, what are you looking at? And I said, well, there's this girl and she's going, oh, I see. Uh, like, wow. <laughs> it was pretty bad. I, got <laughs> I mean, it was, and I really appreciated her being kind and patient with me, but she's like, okay, I'm clearly not who you want to be with. You want to be with this other girl? Okay, fine. So I, I don't know what she was saying, but she she said, "Yeah, that's fine." She was very nice about it. So I go over and I and I inter, you know interrupt, ask Doreen to to dance with me, and so we we start dancing, and I stayed with her the rest of the night. <laughs> Dad. Ditched that, his days. What is this? Nineteen seventy eight. Yeah, nineteen seventy six. Seventy six. This is the January 1976. I, and it was, I look back now and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm just horrified by how rude I was to her. But At the same time, mom was rude to her date. And she was. <laughs> and they ended up having a good time. We found out later that it wasn't, you know, they were good with it. But we just like, uh, we don't want to dance with anybody else. We don't want to be with anybody else. It was, it was really bizarre. And, and I, I, you know, I'm talking about it now, and there's just like such strong feelings about, I have got to be around you. And uh, so, uh, you know, that's so we did that night. Anyway, so I'm like, then I go home and I, you know, we drop everybody, I'll go back to, go back to our dates. <laughs> 
one of the things that was kind of funny is Doreen's date was this guy from California that she knew. She wasn't like in, into him or anything like that. She's just like, well, he's familiar. He's in the same stake as she was or, you know, some connection like that. Anyway, Cindy Hunter's boyfriend or old, old boyfriend or, you know, something, some connection. And so she's like, she's been like, sure, I'll, I'll go with you. And so she asked him because everybody wanted to get a date, you know, so it all worked. But they wasn't like, she wasn't really attracted. It wasn't like all, you know. She wasn't all into it, nor was this gal. She was just trying to be nice to me and everything, too. So, it all worked out. They Everyone had a good time, I, I think. I Honestly, at the time, I, I didn't really care. I was I had a good time, and so did Doreen. So, anyway, but, but we uh, – the next day, this is Sunday, and I'm, like, showing up. I'm, I'm, like, all night, can hardly sleep. And I get to church on Sunday the next morning. We have church at 9 o'clock, and I – I'm showing up there. I'm like there at eight thirty. I gotta, I gotta talk with this, talk with Doreen. You know, the next morning before church, I want to sit next to her. You know, and um, so I'm waiting and waiting. And guess what? She shows up like ten minutes late. And so then I go in with her and sit down. But we're like ten minutes late. And and you guys know, I'm, I really don't like being late on stuff. So. <laughs> I was like, and so began the battle. Oh my gosh. <laughs> You know, and of course, since learned that, you know, she doesn't want to be early because then it's uncomfortable, you know, and on time is okay. But if you're a little bit late, it's not that big of a deal. And I am like just the opposite of that. I can't stand being late. I want to be there early because I'm a social. I like to visit with everybody before and then sit down in the meeting. So we were like different and it starts off very first time. Like the next day she shows up, she's 10 minutes late. Anyway, we, I just ignored it because it's like, yeah, but you know, you're you, so we're good. You know, so we get into the church and go to that. And then I, and I, I asked her for a date to go to the fireside that night. Um, General authority was speaking. I don't remember who it was even. All I can remember is I was in the Marriott Center on like the third or fourth row up from the floor. So we had good seats. And I don't know anything that the speaker was saying. All I know is remembering I'm holding her hand and we're just, I'm just here in the moment. That's all I remember. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, so then I asked her for a date the next night to go to a movie. And it was, um, I'm like pretty sure, you could have to clarify this, but I'm like 99% sure it was cheaper by the dozen, the very first version, back way back in the day, cheaper by the dozen. Um, I don't remember what year version of the movie it was, but it was a, it was a black and white movie, um, cheaper by the dozen. It was shown in the Smithfield House, or no, Smith. Uh, the Joseph Smith Memorial Building, where they had they do a movie every every Monday night. Um, there was other activities, but we went to this movie together. And then after that, there was like we pretty much dated all through the whole the whole winter semester, and um, never was without her. All right, yeah. So, then we came. Then we uh, see what did we do there. Then semester was over. My folks came down and picked us up, and she came with me home to Bend. Um, drove her car up with us, followed us up. I was with her. She came home with me, met met the family, and you know went to church with us there. And then she drove from Cal drove from Oregon, Bend, Oregon, down to California. She had to go back to work. I had stuff. We couldn't stay the whole summer, and so then the letters started, and we really missed each other. I wanted to prepare to go on a mission, and so then we moved from Bend over to the coast, and um, that's when I was, you know. Uh, uh, I went, I, I did some logging. I went to work for a logging outfit because they paid really well. And uh, that's when I got, I, I cut 
I accidentally cut myself with a chainsaw. And that's another whole bunch of stories. But I uh, was on disability there for three or four weeks until I got healed up from that. That was just about the time I went on a mission. So I ended up never going back to work after I cut myself. I never went back to logging because it was only a month later and I was leaving for, for my mission. So I just never went back to, to that. But I, I did that for a while. But I took one weekend. Uh, my folks were gone. They left me with the with the I think it was a Chevy Nova, if I remember right. Anyway, they left me with one of the cars, and I was going to work. I had to show up Saturday morning to go to you know instead of like a regular full weekend. It was like uh, they needed some help on a Saturday morning to help with the with the fallers with some stuff. So I you know needed to make the money. They wanted me to do it, so I, I went ahead and did. I got some overtime for it. I show up and get done at about one o'clock or two o'clock in the afternoon. My folks are gone there. I don't know where they went. Some some place they were both gone. The girls were gone. I was by myself. Uh, David was gone on his mission already, and uh, so I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna get a hold of I'm gonna head to, to California. So I jumped in the Nova and I take off from from Southern Oregon out on the coast, Gold Beach, Oregon, and I drive down the drive down I 101 uh, down the coast to San Jose. I show up at about. Um, See, it must have been about midnight, I want to say, maybe 11.30 midnight, something like that, on a Saturday night, just to see Doreen. And it was in August, and the reason I know that, and we've confirmed that it was August, is because she decided to stay home from Tahoe instead of going up with her family. She had work on the next Monday for two or three days, and so she decided, I'm just going to stick around. I'll go up after I get off work next week. Um, but I'm going to stay here. So she happened to be there. Otherwise, the whole family was up in up at Tahoe. So she was by herself. I was by myself. I drove all the way down. This is passed through the sequoias, through you know the, the big uh, you know big trees, forest, and down the coast all the way to San Jose. Get there about midnight, and we spent uh, the night out on the beach, just talking and walking the whole night till sunrise, talking about everything, the gospel and church stuff, and just. It was it was such a substantial relationship. I just really enjoyed just talking with her. So we just talked and talked and talked. Talked the sun up. I had breakfast and um, and I at that time we were both really tired. I think I, we both slept for a little while uh, in separate beds, but we slept for a while and then I took off. I, I came home. Got home about Sunday evening, about I want to say seven or eight o'clock in the evening. And my folks are going, where, where have you been? What, the car's gone. What, what have you been doing? Well, I went to California. They're like, what? <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of how that was that wild. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those spontaneous things. Then she came up one more time to Gold Beach, and we visited some more. I'd gotten my mission call by then, um, knew I was going to England. And uh, we walked and talked on the beach again. She spent the weekend with the, my, with the family and – and then, and then that was the last we saw each other. And, and we said goodbye and hugged and knew it was going to be a couple of years. And that was, it was really. Really hard to leave her. But I knew that I wanted to go. She wanted me to go. She knew that was right. I knew it was right to go, but I did not want to leave. I did not want to leave her. It was a big risk for me to meet, to leave the person that I knew I wanted to marry and that she knew she wanted to marry. So anyway, that was really hard 
to uh, say goodbye. But then I, you know, you know, you get set apart and you head off, and I uh, got to England, and uh, I just enjoyed. There was parts of it that were hard, but it was all all of it was hard actually. But there was parts of it that were you know more difficult. And there was there was there was trials, but overall, and just really for most of it, I just thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed my mission and serving the people in England. I loved loved those people, and so. I baptized a lot of people, actually. I baptized 26 people in my mission, and there was, um, I, I was um, the second or third highest baptizing missionary in the mission, and um, I just I just had some great experiences teaching people, and uh, and I came home, and uh, Doreen, I, Doreen and I had been writing, and then we got about halfway through there. Yeah, it was about because I just, I just, be, I was, a, I was a district leader, and uh, she wrote and said, "I'm, I'm done writing. I'm not gonna, not gonna do this anymore." And I'm like all devastated. I remember sitting in Kirby, and I, I actually called her on the phone, which was a huge no-no. And I called her and go, "What's going on? Are you leaving the church?" She's like, "No, I'm just not gonna write you anymore." And I'm like, "You must be leaving the church." And it's like, "No, I'm just not gonna write you anymore." <laughs> Oh my gosh! I so so jumped to conclusions. I mean, that's kind of what I was like. But anyway, so she's not leaving the church. She would just, she just. It was too hard to keep writing and you know have all these feelings. Um, she sent me these letters, and it still had her you know white shoulders perfume on the letters. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is this is difficult. Well, maybe it's best then. Yeah. So so the whole time then I was. Uh, uh, Zone leader, I, I didn't have any letters from her at all. Didn't get another letter from her until about two or three, well, probably about a month, a month and a half before we came home. And then, well, that's not even true. It must have been a little bit before that. And uh, she started writing letters. And the letters were just really good. Not not like all mushy, like, oh, my gosh, I miss you. I want to kiss you and hug you. And, you know, like none, none of that stuff was there. It was all just good, solid, you know, supportive kind of stuff. And it was a lot better, much better letters. They weren't didn't have perfume on them, and you know, it was a lot better. But anyway, so uh, and we both, I, I felt good about it. But I was like, I, it's still, it's still who you are. I still want to meet you. So I said, well, I'm going to be in Salt Lake. My family had moved to Montana in the meantime while I was on my mission. So Dal, you weren't the only one this happened to. What? Yeah, I know. I I, I leave from from Gold Beach which was not a, a hometown for me at all. Bend was really what I would consider home or Corvallis. And we left, we, I leave from Bend, from Gold Beach. I don't really know anybody there. Um, they were very nice to me, but I didn't really, I didn't grow up with them. I wasn't in the youth. I just didn't, I was, I was, you know, a college kid at that point. And I, I didn't know anybody in the, in the branch. It was a small little branch there in Brookings, Oregon. And, but that's the branch, that's where I left from. And uh, then I come back and they moved to Montana in uh, Butte, Montana. And it's like, talk about a foreign country there. To, so I'm like, I just didn't know anybody. So I'm coming back. So I got this layover in Salt Lake, fly from England, from Manchester, England to Salt Lake. No, actually, sorry, from London. I got a, a one month extension travel around the uh, England for a little bit. And we went to the London Temple and saw some other sites. So I went back and visited all the, all the people I'd baptized and it was just a lot of fun to go do that. So we spent about a month doing that. And then we flew out of London, Heathrow, and landed in Salt Lake and had a one-hour layover. Actually, about a two-hour layover. And I told I told um, Doreen about it. And so she told Karen and JR. Well, Karen and JR were married at that time. And Karen was pregnant. 
I'm hearing all this stuff, but it didn't click. So I get off the off the plane, walking down the you know the gate, coming into the main part of the airport to get to go to where my other flight was. So we met him at that time. They didn't have security like that. You could go pretty much up to the gate. Well, they were waiting for me, well, not to the gate, but just uh, we didn't have all the security stuff. So I come out of there, we meet each other, see everybody, and I'm seeing my sister pregnant. She's like nine. She well, actually, at that time she would have been uh, seven months pregnant. And in my mind, she looked huge. Plus, she's all grown up, and she's married this bald guy. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what has happened here? And, you know, it just totally blew me away as far as that goes. But it was Karen. You know, we were familiar, obviously. And so I hugged them. And then Doreen was there. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. And as soon as I hugged her, it's like, yep. I, I knew that was going to happen. It's like, I'll know when I when I meet her again. So she showed up. She was there when I when – I, and I hugged her. I'm still, a, or, you know, still a set apart missionary, but we hugged each other, and I, and we didn't just like keep hugging, but I mean, we hugged each other, and it's like I, this is the person I want to marry. I'm still, still interested, and and I felt it from her as well, and so then we sat and and uh, talked for probably an hour, had dinner, and laughed and stuff. And this is when Jr. and we got to know him, and we it was, we hit it off. I mean, you know, John's awesome. He's you know, and, and Karen, it was just really a fun experience. And then I get on the plane, head to Butte, and then I get set apart. I get, um, this was on, a, I think it was on a Monday, I believe. Yeah, it was on a Monday. Because the next day, I, uh, this is December 4th, um, on the next day I get released on December the 5th. And then on uh, Friday, I borrowed my dad's Toyota Hilux truck, which is like a little, you know, like the little um, Tacomas. And, uh, jump in the truck and head for Utah because I got to meet up with Doreen. So well, this is like Friday <laughs> and I'm going, I got to get down there and I, I got to get engaged. I got to, I got to get engaged. I got, I got, I got to marry Doreen. So we, I head off down there. Karen's like, yeah, you can stay with us. So I'm staying with Karen and Jared and they have this little mobile home in Springville, Utah. And I show up there and we meet Friday night for dinner. Doreen's at work. I pick her up after work. We come in and talk and have dinner. That's when I spilled the Kool-Aid on her. Another whole story, but anyway, I'm trying to be a smart aleck, and I I faked like I'm tripping, and you know, and everyone goes, "Oh, look, you're going to spill something on me." Well, I actually <laughs> spilled it on her, you know, and it was, it was red Kool Aid. I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" Anyway, because red Kool Aid stains, and anyway, so it's this whole thing. But whatever, that's what I did. And then uh, Karen and John go, "Well, hey, we're going to take a walk. Uh, we'll let you guys, you know, visit or whatever." So we're visiting, and I ask your mom to marry her, and. And uh, I still, to this day, say she never actually said yes. She just said when. But <laughs> anyway, that was that was what I'm. But those those were those were so significant events in my life that have just made these big, huge differences. And and to me, I guess that's kind of the stories I wanted to share. Was just the the feelings of. Of such strong feelings of wanting to be involved in the gospel and wanting to have the feelings of the spirit with me and having the feeling, the, the teaching of the gospel and having, un, uh, knowing, knowing the feeling of what Christ has done for us and, and the atonement and how much he, you know, forgave me and was able to, you know, through his mercy, I was able to get past the struggles that I had had in high school and was past all that stuff, went on a mission and was able to serve. And come home and then marry this woman that I had met before I even left. And that she was still there. She still was available. She, you know, she got engaged. Like she, she was, got proposed to three times before I got home. 
and uh, she turned them all down for me. And I'm like, oh, this is amazing. And and she, so I knew that she chose me just like I had chosen her, and we we met. And and it was to me the whole thing was just a miracle. And and um, so then we got married two months later, and uh, February February the second, and and uh, then the, you know there's a lot of stories after that, but. Those were those were the really significant um, events uh, early on in my life. We got I, got I was 21 years old when I got married and and sealed in the Salt Lake Temple, and it was it was just um, wonderful to have that happen so early in my life. Because I from then I you know I went into like trying to figure out my career and trying to figure out what I was supposed to do with my life, and like everybody does, every young man tries to figure out what they're supposed to do with their life, and I was just, there was a lot of confusion for me on that whole area. I was sure about the gospel and knew the church was true. I was sure about Doreen and, you know, the woman I'd married. Man, I could not figure out my career. And I just, I struggled with it pretty much my whole career. <laughs> you know, it's, I just really, I don't know. There's a lot of reasons, I guess, for all that stuff. But um, so I've ended up having three total career changes in my life and, and if I were to do it again, I'd pick three different careers uh, than the ones I picked. So I don't know what that's supposed to mean. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's been. I gotta have to say, my career part is just it's it's been always just sort of very confusing, very in a lot of ways, very disappointing, very frustrating. Um, it's only been in the last fifteen that it's really been fulfilling. Is what I'd have to say. I really, really enjoyed what I was doing teaching. Um, and I learned that early on that I wanted to do it, but they just didn't, teachers didn't get paid enough to really even make it worthwhile, I didn't think. But maybe if I just got in and got started with it, it would have been all fine. Like a lot of other teachers I knew, I had friends that were teachers and I don't know, who knows, different path, different time of life, different whatever. It is what it is today, but but that was probably of, of all the, you know, just day-to-day -day struggles, trying to figure out what to do with my life as far as a career goes and making Making a living was has been the biggest, single biggest struggle throughout my whole career, and yet I've gone through a whole career and had three different, totally different careers. So, again, I don't, I don't know what all that means, but that's kind of how it's been. But those, those are the things that I wanted to express to my my progenitors, those who go on after me here, you guys and and your kids as kids, and just how much. The Lord looks out for us, and uh, how much we can, even though in the midst of our different struggles, we can know the gospel is true and and uh, be firm about that. And whatever trials and difficulties and whatever life throws at us, um, those are all—I won't say irrelevant—but they're all um, don't matter as much as having a testimony and a conversion and a real conviction of the of the divinity of Jesus Christ. And I. I know that he lives and that he really, truly did suffer for us generally and, and specifically, but in my own personal life for me and for the, the things that I've done wrong. And he has healed my heart in so many ways and under so many different circumstances and changed the, the inner person of who I am. And I, it's, he, he has made all the difference in my life. And I know that with every part of me, and I, I, um, that's that's the most important thing. And then the other one is is uh, being able to 
being married and sealed to your mom. There's the whole uh, the ho- sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the Holy Ghost. But to understand that and what that means, that's still a, a work in progress. I'm not sure that's happened yet to, to us. I'm pretty sure that it hasn't, but I'm looking to that day when that will. And I know that that's also a choice and um, that all these things were choices uh, placed before me. It says in my patriarchal blessing, I'll have uh, be able to take one of my choosing into the house of the Lord and and uh, that um, I'll leave seed in the earth. And um, we, when we first got married, we... We it was five years before you came along, Dal, and um, that was a real trial for both of us. We did not know that we were going to be able to even have kids. Um, so that's a story your mom, I'm sure, would love to tell more about, and and the impact of that, and what those kind of things were that struggles that she went through on a on a daily basis, not being able to have children. And anyway, then it then it all happened, and so. I don't know. That's that's the most important thing I could I'd like to pass on is is my my conviction of the divinity of Jesus Christ and how much He loves us and how much He wants us to be happy and how merciful He is to each one of us individually and uh, how He is so willing to have us continue to make mistakes and to improve our lives and to be become better and not have to. Um, not to be judged prematurely or falsely, but that he will be my judge, and I, I, he will. He knows me better than anyone, and I, I you know, of course, Heavenly Father as well. But um, I just, um, that's the single most important thing that's affected my life of all the things, and it's it took priority over me when I was, you know, a freshman. I met your mom, and I wanted to be with her for the rest of my life. And the Lord wanted me to go on a mission, and I said yes and put my papers in and did it and said goodbye to her, um, the person who in my mind was the single most important person in my life. And I said goodbye uh, with just faith and hope that she would be there when I got back. And she was. And I don't know why she was. I don't know. I'm glad it was all did what it did, but... You know, there's plenty of stories of that not working out, and um, regardless of all those feelings, and so who knows? I don't know why it did, why it worked out the way that it did, but but I'm forever grateful for it, and but I was able to serve on a mission at, at such a young age, and to go through those experiences, and those things have just they've they've that those strong convictions have guided my life since then, and. Um, and I attribute it back to my days in seminary when Sister Glazier challenged me to, and me and everybody, but I took it personally to read the Book of Mormon and get a testimony of the Book of Mormon and, and be, become converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and I did. And in spite of all the things that I'd been involved in and what I'd done in the past, and in spite of what was headed to the fu- for the future, I, I came to know at that time that the church was true and that the gospel was true and that Jesus Christ was my Savior. And... It, it just, it changed everything. It changed everything that I, all my choices from that time on. And um, anyway, so I guess that that's my sharing my testimony, and I share that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And Thanks, Dad. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Hey. 
all kinds of different experiences in there and, you know, fun little things, but yeah, that's a lot of good stories. There's a lot of stuff we could go talk about, but those are, that's the big stuff. That's the, that's the key ones. Spilled Kool-Aid on her. (laughs) Asked her to marry me. And she said she would. We called both of our folks and her mom says, um, well, I figured that was going to happen because I'd met, uh, you know, she talked about me all the time, I guess. And I had talked about, you know, your mom and to my parents. And I called my parents. They go, well, that sounds good to us. You know, we're like, okay, well, I guess nobody's surprised. You know, <laughs> you know your, mom, your mom had met my folks before. She told you that whole story, I think, with uh, with uh, them going, her and her brother going up to uh, to Montana, you know, and the, the, they had that, gotten that rack and all that stuff. That's right. I was, yeah. Oh, I was on my, uh, you know, before, while I was on my mission and stuff. So, you know, there's all these things that happened. And yeah, so anyway, so she knew them and my mom was convinced that we were supposed to be together. And, you know, who knows? This <laughs> all kinds of stuff can happen, but I don't know. That's been a, spite, in spite of myself, uh, you know, she said yes. So, anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the rest is history, as they say. As as they the say. There's a ton of other things that, you yeah, know. There's a ton more. That's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the real meaningful turning point, pivotal events that, that affected my life. And, yeah, the whole career stuff, I'm, someday I'll have it figured out. I'm. I seriously, I, I could have, I, I feel like I could, right now I could, I have probably three different careers that I would like to have pursued that I could start over again. If I was, you know, 25 years old, I would totally start into and go do at least three different ones from what I've done in my life so far. <laughs> I don't know what that even means. You know, it's like, why, why is, why did I have those kind of feelings? Why do I, why couldn't I ever decide? And, you know, why have so many different things that I was doing? I, some people, I had friends that were just like crazy single ones, like, I want to be, you know, a doctor. I want to be a whatever it is. And I just, I never, I could never settle. I just couldn't do it. Well, thanks. Thanks for sharing everything that you shared. Yeah, exactly. Well, I hope, I hope it was kind of what you're looking for there. Yeah, absolutely. So. Uh, there was a question that I, I kind of want. I guess I did answer the question. That is the one, one you ask in other podcasts, and that's how do you find peace in this world of chaos that we're in? And, and I think I've answered the question, but I, I think I should answer that more clearly that, you know, really the peace is in Jesus Christ and and in my um, conviction of his, the reality of his atonement and his resurrection. And um, I just, I find great peace in knowing that, I, I'm going to be resurrected. All of us, everybody who's ever lived and died on the earth will be resurrected. I, I just feel like I know that with every part of me. And that, that if we turn to Christ, that we can be forgiven of our sins and be able to get past anything, any of the difficulties, if we, all the, the things that harm that people do to us, what we do to others, uh, you know, because we're people, stuff happens, and there's a lot of healing that needs to take place. And it's through Jesus Christ that we can be be repent of our sins and, and get past those things and to be healed. And that just brings a great deal of peace to me. And serving serving with the the priesthood has been the single biggest thing that has brought peace to my heart and that I that I want. 
even though we go along and we forget at different times, different parts of that, and we don't have a, you know, you, you don't remember all that. But as soon as I start to, as soon as I see, hear hymns, hymns are very powerful for me. And I'm like the worst musician ever. I'm not even a musician. But I, the hymns and different music like this, just, it, it's, it, um, I just feel like I can draw really close to the Lord listening to that. And I, I don't know why I don't listen to music more because I know that, and that brings a great deal of peace because it remember, for some reason, my spirit feels all those things. And I, I remember that and, and giving priesthood blessings is probably the single biggest joy that I have in my life. And it brings a great deal of peace and joy and happiness and, and uh, giving priesthood blessings and serving in the priesthood and serving others in that, in that capacity is, and bringing people to Christ, those are the things that have really brought the most peace um, in, in my life to, to me. And, and it's those, it's like, if I don't behave and act like I'm supposed to, and I, and I don't repent of things that I'm doing and make myself better and work at things and ask the Lord to help me to become a better person, um, if I don't do all that stuff, then I'm not going to have this other blessings. I'm not going to have the joy that comes from giving priesthood blessings. I'm not going to have the joy that comes from really from the Spirit and knowing that what I'm doing, I'm in the right place at the right time doing what the Lord wants me to do. That's what brings that peace and joy. And, uh, and I'll, I'll miss out on that if I don't, if I don't, you know, change my life and, and work to, to uh, live in a way that, that I can do that and to have those things and be at least worthy enough to receive those kinds of blessings. And not that I'm perfect by any means, but, you're just worthy enough to, to continue on. And through the grace of God, through grace of Christ, I'm able to keep moving forward. And uh, that gives me great hope and great, a great comfort and great peace. Yeah. Awesome. I love you guys. I, this is being able to share these things and hearing what others have to say. It's just been so, so uplifting. I guess, you know, one of the things about it that I, I really enjoy is being able to Hopefully you could hear my heart through this, and I know I felt that listening to others in the family. And uh, you know, it's not very often we get to hear how somebody really feels about something. And um, I, yeah. I to share that tonight, and and uh, hopefully, hopefully, you know, somebody gets some benefit out of that. And um, anyway, so yeah, exactly. this has been, in my opinion, just a very inspired project. I would love to hear by you know my, some of my great you know great grandfathers and great grandmothers and you know some I would love to hear their voice and hear how they feel about some of these things, but we can't do that now and maybe we'll have that in the future which I think we will but but this, so this is such a good opportunity I think for you know for my my ancestor or my uh, progenitors to hear. So thank you very much for taking the time and and the energy to do this. It's it's. It's really worthwhile yeah well thanks dad yeah i i think that's the whole aim is for this to be of some kind of use to somebody in the future yeah i think it will be i totally think so thank you boys i love both of you and i i'm there's all that kind of stuff to talk about too what it's like to be a dad and Mm. Boys, the girls and uh, you know there's yeah there's stuff there that is really 
really uh, deep in my soul. So, yeah, yeah it would be great sometime in the future. Yeah. Thank you for letting me share. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. <laughs>